Alright guys, welcome to episode 9 of Popping Theory. I'm your host, Show. This episode, we're going to cover everything that happened and current events. In the past couple weeks been going a while, so there's a few things I want to get off my chest, a few things I've seen. You know what I mean? Just spark some debate or you know, positive talk among people. So I'd like to thank y'all for tuning in, so let's just get right to it. Alright, about a few weeks ago, talking with someone about music, and uh, I came across the Summer Walker album. And uh, <laughs> the talk I was having about music, it kind of led me to listen to this album. So I listened to it, you know, and it reminded me of like a, a modern day Mary J album. Talk about hurt and pain and all that stuff, relationship woes that, you know, people talk about a lot. Even like with this podcast, I could talk about crime and somehow with different people in the room, it could turn into a relationship debate. So it's kind of on everything we do. So anyhow, I get into a debate about the Summer Walker incident because I had to do research, you know, listen to the album, what it was about. And she was basically uh, going through her situation with her baby daddy, uh, super producer London on the track. So the album is just her venting about the situation. So I kind of did like a little, like I said, research. And I found out that uh, she became his fourth baby mother. She actually has a song on the album called Fourth Baby Mother. And she's just breaking down how she became his fourth baby mother. So like with that, it started me to thinking about uh, something I talked about with a couple of my friends doing one of the shows. Um, we were talking about accountability and how both sex need to take accountability. So I find it kind of alarming that uh, when women date men with multiple baby mothers. And then that woman always feels like she's gonna be the exception to the rule. Like she's baby number number four. But I'm like, damn, this guy tried three times prior and it didn't work. So then you gotta like peel, start peeling and look at the layers. So yeah, it's like, you know, you see this person, guy or girl, and they have a history. Everyone has a history. I have a history. You have a history. But if that person is constantly repeating the same thing three and four times, three and four baby mothers, three and four baby daddies, the person is just stuck in their ways. It's on, it's on the person, the new person, the male or female that's coming into the person's life and or individual life. And be like, yo, like we got to change this. This is not a good look. And uh, one of my guys was saying that he feel that women are more forgiven of history of men. And I think he's right because let's just look at it from that perspective. If the average woman came into a man with four or five baby daddies or three, four, whatever, just more than two, the average guy, even if he has one baby mother, he's going to be like, nah, that's too much of a headache. Like, what type of person is she? He's going to look at all that. And she could be a great person. She could be a good person that just made bad relationship decisions. And a lot of times, 
we as people don't look at it like that because we could be good people, but we're just horrible relationships. And, you know, we make decisions. We we try to be the exception, like in the Summer Walker's case. But then as I started looking into that story, like Summer Walker was dragging two of his baby mothers about six, seven months ago. And it's just crazy. She was dragging them on social media. So basically... She was going at them, and then she eventually became a baby mother, and now she's just a part of the, the trio, a part of the, you know the rest of the group that he has. Well, she's number four; she's not part of the trio, but she's the fourth one, and I find that to be crazy. So yeah, she, that's crazy, but then around the same time, that uh the, the situation with Summer Walker, was happening, we had an issue with uh the baby. And his uh, baby mother, Danny Lane, who also was dragging Mimi. That's uh, the baby's uh, other baby mother. I don't know how many kids he got. He got a couple of them, probably about three, four. But he dragged this woman on social media when I'm talking about Danny Lane. Like the baby was trying to put her out. He did it on social media. He did it in the middle of the night while she was holding their child. And it's like, wow, these women who aren't, you know, they're they're shallow. They're not uh they're not being held accountable for their actions. Because at the end of the day, everybody knows about the baby. He made a you know, a couple rogue statements about uh HIV and the LGBTQ community a few weeks ago, about a month or two ago that it had him in a backlash, you know, he was losing sponsorship. I talked about it on the show. And this guy is an asshole. Good artist, but he's an asshole. But if women continuously deal with guys like him, guys like London on the track, and these women, they're not like regular James. They're in the entertainment game. They make a little bit of money. Like in Summer Walk's case, she's profiting very well off the album that she released of her pain, you know, just telling her story. But at the end, let's be honest. These women are dealing with some of the most shallowest, insecure men that you can ever think about having. These guys are dogs. But if women continuously deal with dogs, you're going to get bit. You're going to get fleas. Men too. Men, we deal with these women that are just like shallow as hell as well. They're trophy wives. They have no intangibles. You know, they look good. They have limited personality. After you get past the physicality part, the sex or whatever, or the, the eye candy or being on the arm, the trophy woman, a lot of them don't have substance. So they get shitted on. I always say men, we get caught with the physical. Women, they can look past the physical a lot, but it's kind of like both of us, we got this tug of war and when we were talking off the record during that show, a lot of points were coming up from men and women that I was speaking to, you know? And I have to say that women aren't responsible or held accountable when they make these fucked up decisions. So women, y'all gotta do better, man. That, take that. Like seriously, y'all gotta make better choices. Stop dealing with these fucking losers, man. I said it on my first show, I say it like every other show. You got to do better. Men, we have to do better, too. 
you got to just stop looking at the physicality and, you know, wanting to be with these women and thinking like, hey, she's the exception and she's this, she's that. No, man, if walks like a duck, talk like a duck, quack like a duck, fucking duck. And it was another relationship that was uh, in the media while I was on break. You had Brittany Renner and PJ Washington. Brittany Renner is a, a woman that, uh, she got famous over social media and <laughs> she kind of, um, you know, was known as uh, a video vixen. She was like the new superhead, the new Corinne Stephan. She wrote a book about her dealings with uh, entertainers. And I think out of the 24 men that she's dealt with, that she spoke about in the book, uh, she says nine or 10 were NBA players and the rest were like rappers and other celebrities. So it was like PJ Washington is this guy. That uh, plays for the Hornets. He got a great contract about two seasons ago, and he was with Brittany. So, <laughs> Brittany and him broke up. She's doing a whole bunch of shows. She's going around telling her side of the story, and I'm like, damn. All right, Brittany Renner is not ugly to me, but she's not like, wow, she's bad. Like, she must have some great personality. But she did an interview with uh, DJ Academics. She did an interview with uh, Jumper. She did an interview with Kevin Samuels. And what I grabbed, what I got from the interviews that she did, it was like she wants to be someone's woman. It's just that she can't shake her past. So she uses her clout chasing because that's what it is. Like she posts stuff on IG saying, I'm at the game, guys. Hide your sons, like some mothers and all that. So she uses all that tough shit or that she doesn't want to be saved, like the J. Cole song. <laughs> Don't save her. But she really wants to be saved. She wants to be somebody's woman. It's just that she's so caught up in the bullshit to where she's not trying to live down a persona. So anyway, she gets with PJ. People Google P.J. Washington so you can look at his physicality. For my personal outlook on the situation, she got with him because he was an athlete. I'm just going to call it like I see it. And, you know, she's a gold digger. She she says she don't deal with guys for financial gain. She said she makes good money off of social media. She was doing it over a decade. But her social media and how she was showing off her body because she's in shape or whatever, it got her to meet with these celebrities. So she is getting gain, some type of monetary gain out of it. But anyway, she got with PJ, and they had a baby. So she was breaking down. You know, PJ told me that he wanted to knock me up or whatever. And, you know, his son is PJ Jr. But uh, when the word got out that Brittany was his baby mom on social media, especially Twitter, it was like hashtag uh, free PJ. So... I have to say, after listening to her story three or four times and just being rational about it, looking at it, how I look at things in life, PJ deserved to get fleeced because, again, this woman wrote a book. She was telling you what she was about and what she was going to do. So I don't understand how PJ could want people to understand him or feel sorry for him when he simped out. He's a simp. And now... She taking his ass for the next 18, 21 years. So I'm going to give PJ some gunshots, but he deserve all these.
episode, yeah. Um, relationships. I'm gonna do an episode in a couple of weeks with Brad. He's coming back. He got his uh side dude there. He wanna run by everybody. But uh, I'm about to get off relationship for a while. So being a man from uh United States, Brooklyn, New York, a black man at that, I experienced some things in my 40 years on this planet that's kind of alarming to me. Like when you talk about race and the double standards, I think a lot of people don't look at it in the way it's supposed to be seen. Like uh, you got the Rittenhouse trial when the judge just said, you know, even though he had a firearm and he transported to another state, which is a federal offense, a federal offense, we're going to overlook this. And, you know, he was found not guilty. He got off. So when someone that's black has friends that went to jail, got time for guns in the vehicle that they didn't even shoot or use. And then you see this guy who killed two people at a Black Lives Matter rally. It's scary. So it's like these white guys can run around here, these neo-Nazis can do whatever, and then, you know, a typical guy in the hood could get gunned down for having a gun on him. Like my man in uh, Minnesota who had a license and a cop killed him. So that's scary. Like being a black man and seeing that constantly and it's perpetuated. I've I've been around for Amadou Diallo, Abdul Lawima, Sean Bell. Oh man, that's just three in my lifetime that took place in, in New York, the metropolitan area. So it's like Eric Gardner, the I Can't Breathe, the, San, the Sandra Blands. It's, it's just like you see these things as a black person in America. You're like, damn. Like, what can I really do if the ops, the cops, the Jakes, the 12, what could I really do if they kicked in my door right now and blew my brains away? My family, we couldn't do anything. We'll get some, they will get some money. Civil suit saying that, hey, you know, we're wrong, but, you know, everybody's going to get off scot-free. So it's like we have so much other shit in America as black people and specifically as black men to deal with on a daily basis. But then when we look at the news, you see Rittenhouse getting off. You're like, damn, you see uh, George Zimmerman getting off for killing Trayvon. And it's like, damn, what do we do? Like, where do we go? So, you know, you try to, like, look from within your community and then with us, with each other, amongst each other. Like, we have the crab in a barrel theory. But is that really true? Do you think, like, the average black person, your neighbor, would try to pull you down and get ahead or just pull you down just because you're doing your thing? 
And a lot of times we feel that way as people. We don't give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because we feel we know each other. That could be a factor. It's because we don't know ourselves. That also could be a factor. It's because depending on where you live at, what happens in proximity, you're kind of like walking on eggshells or you're just judging people. All of those factors, all of those have meaning to how you feel about your people. Sometimes when you're walking down a block and you see 10 dudes that are black, do you get uncomfortable as a black person and be like, damn, one of these guys might try me? Or do you like, so oh, this just a dude's around the way? How do you feel? Women, when y'all walking down a block and y'all see dudes just catcalling, hey, my, yo, what's good? Hey, hey, fuck you, bitch. You don't want to say nothing? How does that make y'all feel, dude? When you see guys that look like you, black guys, do you cringe? Do you think, like, damn, I got to deal with this shit? So we got all these internal things as well as external things we deal with. And then we got, like, the sexuality aspect. Like, me as a black man, I do feel that sometimes even heterosexuality is, like, overemphasized with TV, video games, you name it. Sex sells, it thrives. You look at these women with the Brazilian butt lips. I even like going to strip clubs. So I get it. Sex is, is oversold. It's, it's in everything. You can't turn away from it. But when you talk about sexuality, growing up, it used to be something that was behind closed doors. Now it's everywhere. And then you got homosexuality. You got all these new terms and all these new expressions. Transgender. You got... Anything and everything under the sun. And then you have people of color, blacks, Latinos, brown, minorities, that sometimes allow the sexuality to supersede their color. That pisses a lot of people off. It pisses me off sometimes, too. Because let's be real. like If someone's to happen to any me and my people, they're going to identify us as blacks or Latinos. Like when a cop killed... A black guy, they don't say, hey, this black gay guy. They're like, this black guy or this black gay woman or this Puerto Rican gay guy. You know, they don't do that. So at the end of the day, I feel like sexuality has kind of like separated the race. Like me as a black man working in America, corporate America, working blue collar jobs, white collar jobs, I've done it all in my life. In this last five or ten years, it has shifted. I call myself the dinosaur because I'm just, like, stuck in my old ways. If you tell me as a man that's transitioning to a woman that your name is Trevor, your birth name is Trevor, but now you want to be called Stacy, I'm going to call you Stacy. I'm not going to address you as she, he, it, they. I, I ain't got time for all that. So the name that you say you want me to call you, that's what I'm going to call you. Because I don't give a damn about your sexual preferences. I don't give a damn about your sexual identity. I think when you start divulging information as far as if you're married and your kids and this, that, and the third, then, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But in a workspace, I'm just going to respect you, and I want to be respected as well. And speaking of that, I had a situation at work where um, I am the supervisor of a group of five. And within that group, I have uh, 
four, well, it was five, but now it's four employees. So at the time, I had five employees. The average age of the employees that I supervised were between 29 and the oldest was 55. So these are grown-ups. These are adults, full-fledged adults. And out of the six of us, we had three black men and, uh, no, four black men two Spanish-speaking individuals, one man and one woman. So in that group that I supervised, including myself, I had an associate that was an ex-correction officer, and he was more like my assistant. You know, like, my, like if I wasn't able to do anything or I had to do something in the office, he would be like my eyes and ears. So he kind of galvanized the team when I wasn't around. He made sure everything was being done. So uh, me transitioning to working with the city, I had to adapt to the thing I just spoke about, the sexuality, the addressing, the him, he, she, the names, the gender stuff. So me being a dinosaur, I had to adapt to that. So me adapted to that. I found out, like, it was blatantly obvious, but, you know, we spoke about it later. He brought it up because I didn't ask, and I don't like to assume. The manager that I reported to, you know, he was gay. Cool dude, gay guy. And uh, he was a bit catty. Like, uh, he would do things that just sit and be like, why are you doing this? And me as a man, when I'm talking to another man, regardless of how you, you know, your orientation is, I feel like we should be able to speak manly. You know, like, women sass you. A woman is allowed to because that's in their nature. But I feel like when a man is talking to a man, you know, we, we talk with respect. And he's, he was, he's very sassy. He's very catty. Like, with, for lack of better words, he's very girly. Like, I know people are going to get mad about it, but that's what it is. So when he does that to you, and it, it could be condescending as well, you have to sit there and, like, take that. Like, yo, like, man, this guy just really talking to me like this and then with my tone and then my appearance if I say something like yo chill out it could be considered or taken in a way of like I'm threatening him. so anywho the, the, the former CEO that I spoke of one of my associates he got into a situation with one of my other guys who happens who happens to be gay a good dude but he's gay so um they went back and forth, and he said he felt that it was preferential treatment because of the gay guy's sexuality and the manager being gay. He felt that that the manager was allowing the gay guy to get away with murder because they both were gay. And I'm like, damn, man. He pulled me in the middle of it, had to do a report. You know, it, it, was, it was messy. It was ugly. But the CO had some points. He was saying, hey, listen, if I don't work X amount of hours, and this is just an example, if I come to work and I'm tired and I'm not pulling my weight at work, someone else has to pick up the workload. Fine. It's five, maybe six days in a week. If you're sick or whatever, going through something twice a week, you know, I can look past it because 
you know, with people, with humans, COVID, emotional stuff, a whole bunch of things in it, you know? So you got to respect that. But if you tired or sick four days out the week and you're taking advantage of people, so basically you're turning a, a three-person job into a two-person job. So the people are picking up the weight for you. And it's crazy because when he brought this to my attention, you know, I, I went down, I spoke to my team, let everybody know about carrying their weight, about being a unit, speaking to each other, you know, trying to work through it. But it was inconsistent into where how the guy, you know, he would uh, be able to work with the team. So it got good for a while, i say a few weeks, maybe in a few months, but then it came back out. The guy, he, he, was, he was slacking off. So I don't know how true it is, but I found out that the two guys, the gay guys, my associate and my manager were messing with each other. That was the story. This is what the uh, the CEO said. I found that from him. Don't know if it's accurate, but again, I'm just going off what happened. So he's telling me like, yo, Cap, listen, these two are getting in it. I seen some, some shit that alarmed me. And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel that nothing's going to happen even if me, the supervisor, went to the director. If we talk to the manager, he feels that because they are intimate and personal that the associate of mine is going to get away with murder. So we all had a powwow. We all had a meeting. And the CEO blew up. I mean, he blew the hell up. He was like, he's just tired of this sexuality shit. He went crazy. I respected his stance, but the fact that he blew up and he was the big guy, he's the black guy, he's, he's perceived to be angry. Security had to be called. I was I jumped in the middle. No blows were going to be thrown, but it was just like, you know, a lot of yelling and, you know, people just saying how he felt. And the CO, he was speaking how he felt from the heart. So we sat outside for about 20 minutes after the melee, and he was just letting me have it. Like, yo, listen, bro, tired of this, 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 this preferential treatment. I'm tired of all this stuff, you know, man? Like, I, I don't want to deal with it no more. And I'm being honest, being very honest, people. These guys make great money. They make about 30-something dollars an hour to only probably work about, if we work six days, they probably actually work one day out of the six days. So you're talking about basically 48 to 50 hours at work that you're getting paid for, but you're only actually working about 40 of them. And that's at least about, I mean, I'm sorry, about 8 to 10. And that's about two hours a day. So very easy job, weekly pay. And he blew his job. He blew his bread because he couldn't take the treatment. He couldn't take feeling like he was being discriminated against because of his sexuality. So I'm like, damn, man, like this is some crazy shit. He felt that way. He had his point. And this is why I'm having this, you know, this dialogue right now with y'all and just thinking about it myself. Is it fair to feel that way? You know, when we say marginalized people, I don't think no one, no group of people has been more marginalized than African, African-Americans, particularly the ones that's 
in the United States of America. But when you look at people that's coming from the LGBTQ community, they feel that they had just been as much marginalized as we had. I don't think they have. They have gone through some struggles, but at the end of the day, that's a sexuality preference. And I'm not knocking you, straight or gay. It doesn't supersede your color. If you're a black man that's gay, okay, you're still black, right? If you're a Spanish man that's gay, you're still Spanish. If you're a white man that's gay, oh, it's going to be different because you're white. I have a lot of uh, gay people that tell me that. Yeah, you know, they have different treatment. So we, we're basically living in a world where your color trumps certain things when you're white. And you're white and gay, you know, you're going to get better treatment than someone black or Latino and gay. So it's still a pecking order. At the end of the day, white, black, brown, red, it's still a pecking order. So why not, why don't we rock together? Why don't we find a common ground, black gays, Spanish gays, and straight black people and straight Spanish people? Why don't we come together and make this shit work? Because we all behind the damn eight ball. But then again, the pecking order. We I call it the uh the house nigga theory. House nigga theory, we all know what that is. You know, the guy that's in the house with the master, usually the lighter person, which created a dynamic that uh, African Americans deal with to this day. We deal with the fact that uh, lighter-skinned African-Americans get treated better than darker-skinned. Lighter-skinned African-Americans are less threatening to the public than uh, average brown or dark-skinned African-American. Look at entertainment. Beyonce is one of the most talented women in entertainment. She's fair-skinned. We don't have any dark-skinned Beyonce's. We don't have anybody to like counter that. Rihanna's light. She's brown skin. She's a lot lighter than Kelly Rowland is, and Kelly Rowland is a great example of uh, what I see as a man, like as a beautiful black woman. But when it comes to the notoriety and you know household name, yeah, she was part of Destiny's Child. But if Kelly Rowland came out with an album on a major label, and Beyonce came out with an album on a major label, and they both started at the same time, and both had the same type of productions. I guarantee you, as new artists, Beyonce would get more push. She would be out there more because it's the optics. They can have equal talent, but I feel, and I've seen it through my experiences, that Beyonce would get more push. Why is that? This is a pecking order. We got to start admitting this to ourselves, people. It's a damn pecking order. We want equality and all that, and we have pecking orders in our own situation. Like my boy Brad, he has this thing where he say, yo, I don't like dealing with sisters. He doesn't like dealing with sisters, and he gets booed for that a lot. And he gets flacked. But he doesn't like dealing with sisters because of his experiences with sisters. To me, it's the type of sisters that he attracts to. 
you know, that he deals with. But it's still his experience nonetheless. So who am I to knock him on his experiences? I don't agree with a lot of things he said about black women because I believe that they're the most beautiful things on this earth. Highly valued in my eyes, there's nothing better. But that's just my preference. I'm a black man, so I'm going to stand on that. You got to take that. So, uh, yeah, when we speak about relationships, he's always saying, like, bro, I don't know how you do it with the sisters. Like, sisters, they this, they that, they that, they this, they that, they that, they that. I'm like, bro, every race, every type of woman you come across is going to have something that you consider negative, that's going to piss you off. But you got to look in the mirror. Are you perfect? No, you're not. You got things about you that, you know, need to be fixed. So you work with each other to make it work. But again, it's the type of woman that he deals with. It's all on the type of guy that you deal with, people. It's all the type of woman that you deal with, fellas. If you know that you are an impulsive person, you can't have two impulsive people in a relationship. It ain't going to work. You got to find a balance. But a lot of times I think we get in relationships and, you know, we don't find that balance. But anyway, I don't want to keep on going about relationships. But let's get back to the, uh, you know, the gender placement and the sexuality and color and all that stuff. So as a black man, you feel a way. You be like, damn, man, why is it like that? So I was thinking what CEO was telling me, just kept on saying, cat, man, like, it's making me feel as me being a heterosexual man, like, like shameful. Like, why do I have to feel this way when I'm a man? Like, why do I have to feel like it's them against me? And I was like, shit, damn, bro, I'm sorry you feel that way. And it cost him his job. Like, he got fired. I tried my best to keep him aboard. Even the director wanted him to keep it. But I think he felt like his integrity was tampered with and he just couldn't take it anymore. And I respect him for it, you know, like in hindsight, like, damn, you know, you believe something, you felt something, you stood on it. And that's some real shit because a lot of us don't stand on our morals and what we believe in. And I respect him for it, but I just wish the situation could have, like, ended better. But again... This is just me talking about my experiences, what I'm seeing, what I feel. You don't have to agree with, but it's my voice, my platform, so I'm going to let it out. So, CO, man, if you're out there, if you're listening, man, keep your head up, and you'll bounce back. Yeah, as I've been thinking, and I've been traveling and seeing things, like, I really look at life differently. I think as you get older... You start to look at your mortality, and little things become great. Like, as a parent, I always strive to give my kids everything that I didn't have. I didn't have stability with my parents because they were, like, young and didn't need to be with each other. But, you know, I enjoy the moments that I spend with my kids. You know, even when they get on your nerves, like I always say, they get on my nerves, but they're my monsters. They're my creations. So I have to deal with them. I'd rather deal with them than have a stranger because no matter how much people may love me, my family may love me, 
they're not going to take care of my kids the way I do. You know, I created those, I created these monsters, and I'm going to stick it out with them. But anyway, you get to travel. You get to see things in life, you know, have experiences. Because tomorrow's not promised. And I want to live every day to the fullest just because I have a beautiful family. And I want my kids to have experiences that I believe that will take them when they start going on their travels and their journeys with their life. But the foundation is what what is important, you know what I mean? Setting the foundation, setting the tempo. And, you know, just being true to what it is. Don't allow anybody to take your joy. Don't allow anybody to corrupt what you built, your structure. Like, if you have a foundation, you work with your partner, and you make it happen. So just enjoy life. You know what I mean? Just make sure that you're doing it and you're living it every day you hit until you're not here anymore. Because when you stand before your maker, there's no ifs, ands, and buts anymore. You're done. So why not enjoy it? That's what I've been living by the last couple of years. I'm never going to stop. So, yeah, traveling and taking the kids and, you know, going on trips with the family. I took my child to a concert in Detroit uh, about two weeks ago. Detroit's a beautiful city, beautiful city. Um, it was cold as hell, and I was right at the border. So it was my daughter's first concert, her first hip-hop concert. And it was a beautiful show. It was Nas, Wale, EPMD, Slum Village, Worst the Five Nine. A couple other people came through, so it was a great show. But just driving the 10 hours from New York to Detroit to see my daughter, who was a big Nas fan. She's just she's a big Nas fan like I am. She loves Nas and J. Cole, just like I do. So a lot of my music influences and things that I like has rubbed up on her. She listens to 80s music like she's a child from the 80s. She's dressed like she's from the 80s and 90s. So I say that's my influences on her, my passion for music music and stuff passed on to her so she was happy as hell when you know Nas came out and she knew just as much words of the old songs that I did you know only a couple songs went over her head she's like damn what song is that whatever but it was it was a great experience to share that with my daughter and I was like damn like I couldn't even get a damn a movie and a dinner with my parents in one night <laughs> It's sad, but it's a reality, man. Like, I didn't have experiences like that. Like, say if my parents took me out, it would be dinner or the movie. It wouldn't be both. And again, like I said, they were young and shouldn't have been with each other. So me doing it, I'm like, damn, man. Like, I took my daughter to her first concert. So this is a memory that she's going to have forever. Like, she's going to tell her kids, oh, my first concert with this guy named Nas and this, that, and the third, and da, da 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 But my dad took me. And that's what I strive as a parent, to create the memories because we're not here forever. So my daughter's going to have that on her forever. But I'm bringing up this segment just to make a statement. It's kind of connecting with everything that I spoke about earlier, like with the Summer Walker, with the Danny Lay, the baby, you know, the situations with Brittany Renner. Like, family structure is important, man. But it all goes off decisions, the decisions that we make. 
Like we as people, and I'm talking to my people, we gotta make better decisions. We gotta make, we gotta do the right thing. We gotta look at our history. You gotta look at the person that you with history, and then you gotta learn from their mistakes and build up. And if we do that, we'll be good. We'll be straight, and then we can focus on the other battles, the other wars that are being waged, waged on us as we speak. I mean, this education system is is crazy. This this shot with the COVID thing is not going away. It's crazy, and it's messing affecting our communities more than anyone. And I mean, this is what I do every day as a job. I, I'm in the streets. I'm in East Harlem. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm everywhere. I'm throughout the city, and people that are impoverished that come from situations where we feel like we're marginalized are the ones who are sick the most because we have all the under, other underlying issues that compound with COVID and we're dying from it. Now, again, I'm not telling you to take it back. It's your body, your life, your choice. But, again, we got we to gotta get our act together, people, because this war out here is real. It's serious as shit. It ain't getting no better. All right. So I got one more story before we go. It's about relationships. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of taking it from what I seen with the baby and Danny Lay. But uh, you could probably use this if you've been through it or you know someone that has. As a guy, you know, I've, I've done my fair share of dirt, dumb things, you know, had some experiences. That I shared. I'm open book with my partner. My wife, she knows about my past, you know. We talk. But anyway, um, when I was looking at the baby situation with uh, Danny Lay, and she was saying a lot of things like, hey, I'm your girl, and I got receipts, and I got proof. And she was doing a lot of, like, crying, and then, I, like I said, people, like women, oh, that's wrong that he's treating her this way, and da-da-da-da-da, right? So I started to think, and I had this experience in the story, at the same time, I had an experience with uh, a friend that uh, was dating this girl. Like, we all knew her. We were cool. We hung out. And uh, the girl was what I call a professional side chick. She was a side chick. But to, like, piggyback, like, Brittany Renner, she wanted to be a main chick. So she would lower her standards to the ground just about. She'll deal, she'll deal with you if you had a wife or a girl and you were on the rocks. Depending on the type of guy you was, she'll play that number two position. And where I'm sending this for fellas for y'all to wake up and pay attention, that was her game. She created the illusion to make my man feel that she didn't want to be number one. But she was doing number one things. He was telling her, listen, when they first hooked up, yo, we can hang out, we can go to movies, we can chill, we can smash. That was fine. So she was basically just doing everything that he said that his lady didn't do. His lady wouldn't do this. His lady wouldn't do that. His lady didn't like sports. She's in the sports. His lady didn't like to do this. She did that. His lady didn't like this. Watch these type of movies. So the side chick was basically listening and doing everything that he complained of. 
keeping him in an illusion that she was comfortable in playing her position. But that wasn't the case. So he said, I noticed the red flag before he did. <laughs> we joke about it now. Yeah, we joke about it, but I noticed the red flag. The red flag was crazy. And, um, yeah, so it was crazy. He's like, hey, um, she's perfect. She's doing everything. I'm like, bro, it's the illusion. He's like, nah, man, she don't. She perfect, man. I'm like, she's a side chick. He's like, yeah, but she does everything. I'm like, bro, that's the representation. It's not her. I'm talking to her. I'm like, yo, man, leave my dude alone. She's like, nah, we good. I don't want no babies or nothing, yo. I, I got everything I need. I'm like, you got everything you need as a side chick? He's like, yeah. I got everything. Why would I want to mess this up? I'm like, all right. It's a bunch of shit. So anyway, time goes by. My man's like, yo, bro. Yo, I'm starting to see her more days out the week. I'm seeing my lady less. I'm tired of dealing with my lady, whatever. I'm like, bro, you hook up with Shorty seriously? She's going to become your lady. She's going to go back on everything that uh, she was doing. She's going to show you her true nature. So he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see. I'm going to see if you're right. So they didn't become serious, but he gave her serious vibes. And, man, biggest mistake he made in his life. Old girl was waiting for him to slip up. So he slipped. And she took that shit and she ran with it all the way home. When I'm talking about all the way, all the way, man. So he started noticing it. He's like, yo, bro, she stopped wanting to play games with me. She stopped watching sports. She stopped this. I'm like, oh, really? She did. I told you. So then he starts dialing back. <laughs> he starts dialing back. They were seeing each other like four days a week. Sporadic times, he went to a set schedule. Like, yo, we can only see each other Wednesday and Fridays. Wednesday and Friday, 1 o'clock after I get off of work because he closed a lot or had the late shift. So seeing her Wednesday and Friday, she started um, doing a little shit. He said she would get clingy, like, oh, stay later. Why are you only coming and da-da-da and leaving? Like, yo, can we go out? He like, nah, I don't want to do that shit. I'm going to, um, you know, you're just going to stay in your pocket. You're going to stay in this spot. So then he said, you know what? Since she's asking all these questions, I'm going to bust her down another day. So now he went from, what, two days a week to one day. And then it became one day sporadically. It'd be one day in the first week of the month and one day in the fourth. You know what I mean? So like Friday, say Friday, in the first week of May, and then Friday and the last week of May. Smash and dash. That's all he was doing. So he says that like him and his lady got to a point in their relationship where they were like, you know what? Are we going to make this shit work or are we going to debt it? 
So he said, nah, baby, I love you. You know, we got a kid. Let's make it work. So he goes to the side chick. He's like, yo, listen, you know what? I'm going to make it work with my lady. You know, I got something there. So we're going to debt this. So she's like, all right, fine, whatever, fuck you. Hung up the phone. Boom. She calls him about two weeks later. She's like, yo, got to talk to you. He's like, what's up? So he uh, goes to see her. They arrange to meet. And he's like, yo, what's good? But she's like, yo, I don't mean to be doing this, but I'm pregnant. So he's like, pregnant? She's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And it's yours. So he's like, wait a minute. We ain't even get down like that. She like, yo, you the only person I've been with. I don't know what you're talking about. Sidebar, he was telling me like, oh, she's obedient. Yo, when I call her, she's there. When I leave, she's crying. I'm like, bro, she's putting you in the matrix all the way. She is finessing you, my dude. Anyway, he's like, what you mean? When we first got with each other, you said you didn't want no baby. So... If that baby's mine and you know my situation, I think you need to go get an abortion. So she like, nah, I don't want an abortion. And you're going to take care of this baby. So he's like, wait a minute. You know I'm with my lady. You wait two weeks to come at me with this pregnancy shit. I feel the kid ain't mine. I feel you fucking with somebody else. That's their baby. She like, no, it's not. She's crying. She's making the scene. Woo, woo, woo. They're going back and forth for a couple of weeks, he says. You know, texting, boom, meeting up, texting, texting, going through the bull crap. So I'm telling him, I even spoke to her. I'm like, yo, listen, if it's his kid and you want to do it, he can't tell you what to do, but just know that he's not going to be with you. Like, he's not going to be with you. You can break up his family, break up his situation, but he's not going to be with you. So she's like, nah, fuck that. I don't know why what he what he sees in this woman. I'm like, yo, it doesn't matter what he sees. Like, you need to play your position. So she gives him an ultimatum. She tells him that he has six months to break up with his lady and to get with her. And if she and if he doesn't, she's gonna blow his whole world up. She's gonna tell his wife, his girl, whatever, fuck his whole shit up. Now, fellas, we be fucking up. I've done this to him my experiences so i'm with y'all on this guys those who have these experiences you be giving that side chick all the information she be knowing shit she be knowing where some of your bodies is buried and sometimes she even know where your queen stay this is stupid but she does and this is right before social media jumped off so it wasn't messy 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 you know what i mean so anyway she gives him this ultimatum. She's like, yo, if you don't tell your lady, I'm pulling up to the crib, belly sticking out in six months. Everybody know you're pregnant. You can't uh, belly fat that. You can't, oh, I, you know, I had gas that. That's a fucking baby in there. So he like, shit, what to do? I'm like, bro, <laughs> the only thing you can do is tell your girl. Rather her than the side broads. So... He waited to like, he tried to talk her off the roof. No, he tried to talk her to jump. Fuck that shit. Get an abortion, her jumping off the roof. He tried to make her jump off the roof a hundred times. And he got pretty close one time, but she didn't kill the baby. She said, nah, we're going to do this. We having this shit. Yo, so anyway, 
um, it's like month five. After five months of arguing with this lady, for four and a half months, he's like, damn, I got a month left. So I think uh, in the 11th hour, so we talking about almost six months, he tells this lady. He's like, yo, listen, babe, you know, while we was off and on, I fucked up. I was fucked with this broad, you know, it wasn't wasn't serious or nothing like that. But now she's saying she's pregnant and she's saying the baby's mine. I don't feel the baby mine, but that's what she's saying. And she's saying that if I don't tell you within six months, you know what I mean? Like, uh, she gonna come tell you and she gonna fuck up what we got. We've been going good. You know, I'm sorry I fucked up. Woo, woo, woo. So... After a couple of weeks, you know, him and his girl fighting, going back and forth, the girl mulling over whether to stay or not, she said, fuck it. I'm going to see if this baby is yours. So the girls meet up, the women meet up or whatever. The side chick was telling him all type, telling her all types of shit. Yeah, you know, this time he was here and he was there and da-da-da. And when you was over here with your homegirls, he was in with me and just comparing notes. He's looking like the dirt bag, but the girl's like, listen, man, I've been with him 12 years, whatever they were with, with each other. I'm not letting this, I'm not letting him go. Like, we're going to figure this out. If it's his baby, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So, everybody knows. Uh, she's like, oh, this is my baby. I'm going to take him to child support. We're going to do DNA, all the more repose type shit. And, uh... She's six months now, so she only got a few months left. So, ladies, like, yo, listen. When a baby born in three, four months, his number's not going to change. He's going to keep the same number. You call me or you call him or whatever, and we make that paternity test happen. So, three or four, three or four months go by. She's ghost. Y'all, she's gone. She's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. She doesn't call. She doesn't do anything. So he says the first, her first Mother's Day pops up. So that's like almost a year after, like, they had the talk, the women and the men. I mean, the two ladies and him. So uh, he gets a phone call. It's the girl on the phone. And she's like, she's not even on the phone. He said it's the mother on the phone. Oh, when you gonna take care of your fucking kids? Yo, you got more than one kid, this, that, and the third, da 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 da. The girl isn't saying anything, he said. He said it's the mother. The mother's gone. Oh, it's your fucking baby. Ooh. So I was telling him, like, yo, the mother's only going off of what the daughter told her. She don't know the story. She ain't gonna admit, or she might not wanna say it, that her daughter's a slide. She a side piece. Cause the mom's was a known side piece. That's another story. But anyway, the Mars was a side piece. So the side piece doesn't get on the phone, but she makes, the mother makes all these idle threats. Oh, nigga, we coming for your bread. The regular, yeah, you know, the regular. Uh, bit of baby mama shit she was hitting them with. The regular bitter baby mama theory stuff, right? So time progresses. We ain't the first year I said no more phone calls, no nothing. About eight years passed by. So this kid is like eight or nine. My man moved on, got married, had more kids, living happily ever after with his girl, right? 
him and his girl, his girl brings it up, or wife now, she brings it up, you know, time to time, fuck with him, but it is what it is, you gotta deal with it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he sees the lady, the girl, the side chick, with the kid. Kid's a eight, nine-year-old boy, whatever he was. So he says he stops her and says, yo, what's good, what's up? She's like, oh, hey, oh, shit, thought that was me. He's like, about that, nah, he wasn't yours. I, You know, I thought he was, but he wasn't. So my man's like, yo, this dude is yellow. He got coolie hair. Like, I actually was you fucking with somebody. And she was like, I was. He said, so why when I asked you, you told me no. I said, when we spoke about this, I said, told you, fool, the illusion. She seen what you had with your girl. She seen the qualities and attributes that you had as a man and wanted that for herself. So by any means necessary, she felt that she, you would hold her down with that baby. And it hurt her so bad when you went back to your chick, she lied about the other dude she was smashing. She put you in the matrix. She put you in the finesse. She spent your ass to thinking you was in control of a situation that you wasn't. So she was willing to blow your shit up and do everything for her own happiness, not yours. She thought she was a real solid side chick. No, bro, she was a chick that was finessing. And the moral of the story is, man, we got to stop thinking we be in control of shit because a lot of times we begin finesse. PJ, we begin finesse, man, and we don't be knowing. We don't look at the signs. We think that because our little, our little D game is great and she's saying our name and all that other shit. That has no meaning, dude. Like, it's a whole world out here, a whole cold world, and a lot of these women out here serving us, man. So, guys, we need to wise up. Watch for the signs or get with somebody that's respectable and you build with. It's on you guys. All right, guys, next week, man.